Jeannie, you're going to take that young, handsome fellow out? I am. <laughs> All righty. We're going to do our own lesson. Thank you. All right. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> Let's pray. Oh God, for everything that's in the room this morning, we give thanks for every thought, for every feeling. We make space and ask only now that you would take us to a deeper place to open our minds and our hearts to hear some word that you would have for us. May the word meet us wherever we are in our lives. May it comfort us and may it even challenge us. It's for this we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I played in a charity golf outing with Jim Kelly, the rather successful professional quarterback, longtime quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. You may or may not remember, but as their quarterback, uh, Jim Kelly won four consecutive AFC titles. He was something of a rock star in Buffalo. At this particular outing, money was being raised for neurological disease-related research. And Jim was the keynote speaker primarily because his son, Hunter, died of a degenerative neurological disease at the tender age of eight. So Jim turned out to be a very, very colorful playing partner. On the first hole, he shanked a shot, which means he hit it almost directly at 90 degrees <laughs> and proceeded to let out a long string of four-letter words. He was laughing. He was having a great time. I was laughing with him. And then another player in our foursome decided to tell Jim that I was a preacher. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I hate when that happens. Like, really? Why do you need to do that? The last thing in the, last thing in the world that I wanted was for Jim to be more guarded or self-conscious. But Jim didn't miss a beat. Right after this string of expletives, he turned to me and he said, praise God. <laughs> he said, praise God, Carter. The Lord saved my life. 
I said, really? Really? What'd that look like? He said, I was a terrible husband. I was a terrible father. I was a man without a moral compass. And I'm not that man anymore. Because God led me down a completely different path. So I kept talking to Jim throughout that afternoon. And no doubt, Jim's a little rough around the edges. Talked like a truck driver. But there was something about the depth of his faith. His God was no longer an afterthought. His God was not some idea to be pondered. His God was not a bit player in the human drama. His God had assumed the role of Lord. A north star, a guiding presence. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord was Jim Kelly's shepherd. And it points us this morning in the direction of the 23rd Psalm. I'm going to be honest, even with our new friends here, I can't say that I have always loved the 23rd Psalm. And I often stand up here and say, oh my gosh, I love this passage. I think it certainly says more about me than it says about the 23rd Psalm. But for me, I think it's lost a little bit of its punch because of overuse. You hear these words almost always at memorial services. You you hear these words when people are going through times of distress. And the words are, of course, intended to comfort and to reassure. The words proclaim boldly That God is a strong, active, and worthy presence. Whatever the circumstances in our lives, we can trust God's presence. And as I thought more about it, I thought, that's it. That's it. That's why I struggle with this text. This text is about God. And my preference, almost always, 90% of the time in my sermons is to stress what we need to be doing. You know what I mean. Jesus says to forgive, so let's get busy. Let's make a decision. Let's be more forgiving. Jesus says, let's be generous. So let's get busy and let's make a decision and let's be more generous. 
I mean, really, if we're the hands and the feet of God, then we must take responsibility and we must do what the teaching tells us to do. That's my favorite sermon. Maybe because I grew up in the South. I like people to tell me what to do. But this text, this text has a completely different agenda. It is about the presumed and it is about the awesome character of God. It's about who God is and who we are supposed to be. This important passage is two to three steps back from telling us what to do. Don't do anything. Listen. Remind yourself, or at least imagine, that you have a shepherd and maybe you call it God. And then maybe, if you're bold enough to say that you are a person, I know I am a person who needs shepherding. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. I shall not want. Barbara Brown Taylor. Jennifer and I are always talking about Barbara Brown Taylor. But I think she creates an interesting kind of context for us by kind of filling in some blanks. So listen, listen to what she has to say. She says, imagine my delight when I discovered just last week that someone I know in my congregation grew up on a sheep farm. And according to him, sheep aren't nearly as dumb as we think. It is cattle ranchers who are responsible for that terrible rumor. And it's because sheep don't behave like cows. And then she goes on and she says, according to this expert on sheep, cows are always herded from the rear by cowboys who crack whips, but that will never ever work with a sheep. You stand behind a sheep and you make loud noises and all they'll do is they'll run around behind you because they prefer to be led. You push cows, but you lead sheep and they will not go anywhere that someone else does not go first, namely the shepherd who goes ahead of them to show them that everything will be okay. This is the last piece she writes. She says, sheep will grow quite fond of their shepherd. It never ceased to amaze him growing up that he could walk right through a sleeping flock without disturbing a single one of them while a stranger could not step foot in the fold without causing commotion.
complete pandemonium. Sheep consider their shepherds part of the family, and the relationship grows strong. It is an exclusive one. They develop a language of their own that outsiders are not privy to. A good shepherd learns that language. And sheep know whom they belong to. They know the shepherd's voice. I don't know about you. But when I start to listen and hear the 23rd Psalm in that way, when I start to hear it with clear and fresh ears, I actually begin to discover how revolutionary and how countercultural it is. It's striking. Even with a lifetime, I mean an entire lifetime of reflecting on my faith, I'm still wired to think I'm my own shepherd. I really am. Now, I would admit I'm not a great shepherd, but I I would go on to say I'm a better shepherd than you are. I'm better at shepherding my life than you would be at shepherding my life. I mean, I'm not good at it, but... You know, it's like I locate myself in William Henley's famous poem, Invictus. You remember that one? Remember that one? Here's what he says. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I can't tell you how different the message from the 23rd Psalm is. We're not the masters of our own fate. We're not the captains of our own soul. We can try. We can soldier on. We can plow ahead. But if this text is on point, we are not well suited for the task at hand. We need a trusted and guiding presence. Reminds me of that quote I I go back to at least once a year. David Foster Wallace, he writes, everybody worships, the only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for choosing God is that anything else you worship will eat you alive.
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I never ever stand up here and presume to speak for anyone else. But I, at my best, bow to the shepherd that I have come to know in the great narrative of the Jewish and Christian sacred texts. I bow to the one who created with love the universe that we live in. I bow to the one who has come into the world to show us how best to love each other and to love all of creation. I bow to the one who promises that love will never leave us. The message is a promise. The message is a way forward. It is a way of imagining. It is a way of wanting less and at the same time wanting more. And then finally, it is a way of being comforted no matter what valley we happen to be walking through. To believe in the transcendent and imminent promises of God is a way to step into eternity. To step into a bigger and more hopeful story. Reminds me of an experience that I had on a midnight run many years ago. I stopped to hand a bagged meal to a homeless woman. She received the meal and she said, thanks be to God. I sort of rolled my eyes. And I walked away and she said as I was walking away, hey, if I don't ever see you again, I'll see you in heaven. This week, I conducted a small backyard service for a family who lost their 15-year-old son one year ago to an undetected heart condition. At the end of the time, the mother asked me, do you really think we will see him again? I said without hesitation, yes. And to the family gathered here today, to remember the gift of Peter's life, I would say the exact same thing. One day, goodness and mercy will prevail, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whatever doubts I have, and I got plenty, whatever unknowing gives me pause, I follow a shepherd. And it isn't me. And this surrender gives me the greatest, greatest comfort.
And this surrender at my best shapes my life. Gives me the best chance to live with love, to follow love's leading, and to trust that love will take me from this life to the next. May it be so. Amen.
the table where we are dining today. And because of that, we are all welcome to this table exactly as we are. Wherever you're coming from, whatever age, gender, whatever you believe, whatever doubts or fears are holding you back, you are welcome at this table. Think of this table as green pastures and still waters. So friends, before we come to the table, let's bring our whole hearts to God and reflect on the ways we have left things done and undone.
with your love. We ask that you feed us at this table, that you refuel us and refresh us, that you remind us that you are our shepherd, and that you lead us to places of deeper peace, deeper compassion, and deeper hope for the world. We pray for those places in the world that so badly need your healing touch. We pray for places in poverty, places where there is not enough to go around, places where people live in fear, those war-torn places. We ask that you are with those people who most need your hope. We lift up prayers for those who are grieving. And we particularly give you thanks today for the life of Peter Paul Moore, a beloved son, a beloved brother, friend, uncle, and child of God. We thank you for his family gathered here to remember and love and honor him. Thank you for letting us walk with them a little bit of the way. And now, God, in the silence of this sanctuary, we offer up prayers that are on our hearts. may come.